0: Opportunity to be called, uh, to the reason for our being Christ, the center. We're going to talk about Him today, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, and I might not get past verse 18 because that's all I studied. No, I, I, I uh, it's, uh, the verses after verse 18 are pretty rough. Um, and so <laughs> leave it for Chuck. <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> it's the Christian thing to do. Uh, but I, I just had such a uh, stimulating personal time in meditating on uh, chapter three, verse eighteen, that uh, I wanted to be meaningful to you as well. I memorized this verse um, over the last few days, just so that I could chew on it, meditate on it in the course of the day and night. I commend it to you as well. If you memorize and have available 1 Peter 3, verse 18, you will be able to lead someone to Christ. (laughs) Uh, You may be wondering, how do I proclaim the excellencies of the Lord Jesus? What is the good news? How do I communicate it in a way that someone might hear and believe and be saved? Um, 1 Peter 3.18 is one of those verses that I think is an economical encapsulation of all of the truths that comprise the gospel message. So I memorized it and I want to ask you to do it as well. and, And if we get through it today, it might be sufficiently on your mind that you'll have it memorized already. See, what you want to do is take one word at a time when you read the Bible. Do not speed read the Bible. Go slow. You don't want to finish it. It's going to complete you. But you got to slow down. Uh, don't let it pass you by. Dig in. So, for Christ. What does that mean, Christ? Can you tell me? Anyone know what the word Christ means, Charlie? The anointed one, the Holy One of Israel. Yes, it means the anointed one, Christ. It's the same as Messiah. I'm ashamed to tell you that for many years I thought that was the last name of this one called Jesus. I thought it was his last name. Maybe you're like me. And now I realize this Charlie just so well shared. It means the anointed one. But who anointed him? The Father anointed him in what sense? In what sense is he anointed? Can you please what separates him? Out as the anointed one. Thank you for speaking in tongues. With groanings too deep for words. Yes, Jess. Yes. Jesse is correct anointed in many ways not the least of which is his special birth nobody came into being in quite the same fashion he's not one amongst many he uh has a special ordination anointing role identity he is the a uh, Christ he he is god is he not yes uh, he is he is god who took on flesh, this is part of his special anointing? nobody's ever done that now, okay, so so being enamored by who he is and how special he is for Christ also now that's a connecting word that leads us back to what has preceded, and what Peter has spoken of prior to this verse uh, is suffering Christians, not Christians suffering because they brought it upon themselves, Christians suffering for doing good. Namely, for sharing the gospel. They suffered. And now what he's doing in verse 18 is offering the premier example of one who has ultimately suffered for ultimate good. Christ himself. For Christ also died. Well, now help me here. You just told me he's anointed and he is divine. He's God. But separated from the Father, that's, that's a That's a result by definition is eternal, has no beginning nor any end. How therefore could God come to an end? Yes. His body died. For God to die, God had to become embodied. People embodied die. That's us. God, who is without a body, does not die. There's a word, uh, theologians use, but, and you don't need to use it, but let me share it with you. It means, it says God is incorporeal. Incorporeal. Meaning no body. Corpus Christi, Texas. Corpus Christi. What does it mean? Body. Corpus of Christ. Corpus Christi. Body of Christ. If we say God is incorporeal, it means he has no corpus. He has no body. He exists. He's self-existent. He is spirit. In order for him to die, therefore, he had to become enfleshed and embodied. And this is Christ, the anointed one. He was anointed to retain his divinity while taking on our humanity. Not the sinful part of it. Just the external part of it. So he did not minimize his godness. He simply added to the equation humanness. Why? So that though God, he could die. For Christ also died. Do you know the death of Christ is part of the good news? So that's why I say if you commit to memory this verse... You'll be able to lead someone along, if they choose, into a saving relationship with Christ. They have to know first that though God is pre-existent, God came near. That's just how much He's concerned about us. And He came near in the form of a body, a corpus. He, he is the Christ who is God in the form of man and he did this so that he could die for Christ also died for sins wait just a second. I understand that God has no body, that he exists apart from the material world. He cannot be contained in flesh unless he chooses to. And I also have an understanding that God, by definition, is without sin. Yet this says, this God, this God-man, for Christ also died for sins. Whose, if not his? Yeah, yours and mine. So this God who took on flesh died for our sins so that when we die, we die without the burden of our sin. He took the burden of our sin in His dying so that in our dying, we die free of it. Can you see it? Folks, that's the gospel. Now we're mentioning all kinds of huge theological concepts that you don't have to know of. We spoke about the preexistence of God, we spoke about the fact that his, he is incorporeal. We spoke about the incarnation, incarnation and now we're speaking about something called substitutionary atonement. I'm telling you in one verse of scripture you're covering what you cover in 3 4 years of seminary. Memorize this verse and share it with somebody. For Christ, God flesh, he who has no beginning nor any end subjected himself to an end. For Christ also died. Why did he do that? He did it for sin. Well, though, as God, he has no sin. Therefore, it is my sin. For Christ also died for sin. He died for my sin so that I could die free of sin. You see it? It's the gospel message. For Christ also died for sins. Once is the next verse. Don't you love it? Do you know there are many things which, though in the Bible, are not to be repeated? Did you know that? Uh, Some people think everything in the Bible is to be repeated. You hear something? What is that? Wow, that's a better message. Something's coming through the airways. You hear it, Mike? It's a guy with a British voice. Wow, I love that. What was that? Twilight Zone. Um, Once, what Jesus did on the cross is not a repeatable event. There are many things in the Bible that are not repeatable events. Did you know that? I mean, you don't sacrifice an unblemished lamb on an altar of sacrifice anymore, do you? There are many practices in the Bible that are not for today. The principles are, but not the practices. How do you know which ones? We have to study the Bible. You can't just pick and choose. So this says what the Bible records, the death of the anointed one, Christ, took place for sin once. Once. It's not a repeatable event. It is so exhaustive, so complete, so total, so acceptable to the Father, it need not be repeated. It satisfied the requirements of his death. His dying once for sin satisfied the necessity of his dying in our place for sin once. He doesn't have to die again and again. You don't have to die again and again He died once, then what does it say? For all. Tell me what all means, for all. What does that entail? What does it mean he died once for all? From Adam to Z? From Adam to Z? Yeah. Oh, I like that. So you you mean like all people? Yeah. Absolutely. He died for. What he offered has the potential uh, to provide atonement or forgiveness for everybody. He died What he did, he died once for all for all people, all people groups, right? Muslim people? Yes, sir. Jews? Yes. Thank you so much for emphasizing that that point. I really appreciate you dramatizing. Um, um, And oh, now Daniel, we're onto something. What he did once for all was not just for all people, but for all times, meaning what he did does not merely have an ancient significance, it has a now significance, though what he did took place 2,000 years ago, what he did 2,000 years ago has a now implication, He died in all ages. Things change. Times change. But the totality of his once and for all death on the cross is trans-temporal. It crosses time. It crosses people groups, Muslim people, Jewish people, Catholic people, Mormon people, uh, Quakers, Baptists. It doesn't matter what Christ did. He did once for all people. This is important to know because we may be given to to compromise the gospel, because this is the day of toleration, not truth. Truth is not a virtue today. We're in a post-truth era. This is the day in which what's true for you need not be true for me. Just believe in what you want to believe in and leave me alone. But by definition, truth is absolute if truth only pertains to an individual, it isn 't truth. Truth applies across the board, but we don 't want to hear that today we t- today it 's toleration. Just tolerate my interpretation okay but 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 so we 're prone in this age of toleration and political correctness to say, "Gee, the Muslim coworker I know is so devout and passionate. the Jewish doctor, naturally it's a doctor, um, I go to, is so sincere and nice, and could all the, or, or could be a lawyer. <laughs> True, exactly. Exactly. Uh, the, the My Mormon neighbor is such a wonderful family and is such a, a good person, and, and, and you're probably right about all those things. And then you have a tendency to say, how could it be that merely because... They don't identify with this anointed one the way I do, that they would be eternally separated from him. So you'll want to be careful of that. And you want to make recourse to a passage like this one. For Christ also died for sin once for all. All people groups, all times, and all of your individual sins. When Christ died for your sins, all of your sins were future from the event. So if you sin later today, I don't recommend it, but if you do, you might have a tendency to think this is a surprise to him. He didn't see it coming. Therefore, you're going to have to do something about this sin. And your tendency may be, in essence, to punish yourself for it to crucify yourself. Well, you're not impressing God by doing it because 1 Peter 3.18 says what the Christ did, he did once for all of your sins. No, what your wrongdoing doesn't take him by surprise. It was in his mind when he suffered and died on the cross. So what do we do? Well, there's no reason for a Christian who sins to stay out of fellowship with God longer than it takes to confess the sin. You say, oh God, I have sinned against thee. You don't make excuses for it. You don't say I come from a dysfunctional background, my mama this, my papa that. Those things may be true, but they only explain things about you. They do not explain. Use your bad sinful choices. So you just call it what it is. Confession means agreement. You say, God, I confess, I agree that what I've just done is contrary to you. It is therefore sin. Then you say, I also agree that this is the very thing you died for. So you say, I thank you that you died for all my sins once and for all. Oh God, I turn from it, that's repentance, I turn to you, help me to do better. And then you waltz down the road, hand in hand with God, just as if you had not sinned. But I'll tell you what the average Christian does, the average Christian beats up on themselves for a while until they feel worthy of communion with God again. Well, you're missing what it says in First Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sin, yours, once for all. So you thank him for the totality of his sin sacrifice. For Christ also died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. That's the only way it could be. What good would it be For one of us here, an unjust one, to say to God, I'm willing to die in order to provide atonement for the sins of these other unjust ones. You don't qualify. You're not anointed for the task because you're not just, you're unjust. One unjust one cannot die so as to cancel out the sin of another unjust one. We're all the same, you see. We're all debtors. How can one debtor die so as to pay the debt of another debtor? You can't. You need someone who doesn't owe the father a debt. You need someone who hasn't violated his law. You need someone who has right standing with him and has never had wrong standing with him. That's the just one. That's the Christ, That's why he's anointed. He's never displeased the Father. He's never let him down. He's never had to say, forgive me. He's never had to say, I'm sorry. He's always done the Father's will because he has the essential nature of the Father. He is the Christ. He's the the anointed one. He's the God-man. He's sinless. So the just, it has to be the just to die for the unjust. In the original language, the just is in the singular. The unjust is in the plural. He is in a class of one. The just, one of a kind, died for the unjust. That's the sum total of the rest of humanity. He is anointed. He is categorically different. The just died for the unjust. And now we're about to find out what the fundamental problem of humankind is. It is not the economy. It's not... um, the educational system. It's not politics. It's not anything like that. For Christ also died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. Why? In order that he might bring us to God. Now, we just found out the fundamental problem of humankind. It's alienation from the Creator. We are not rightly related to him. Someone has to bring us to him. Christ's death uh, provided a bridge. Death on a cross made him the mediator between two warring parties. The totality of humankind in every age is alienated from holy God. And only a just one, the anointed one, can spread out his arms and be a bridge between the two warring parties. That's our problem, alienation from God. He died so as to bring us to God. Notice, no religion could do it. There are so many beautiful aspects to so many religions. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying no matter how beautiful is the liturgy in a person's religion, no matter how passionate one is about it, they cannot bridge the gap between God and man, because all religions are made by man. So whether it's my own Judaism or Catholicism or Mormonism or, do you know being a member of a Baptist church cannot bring you to God? Right. Do you know baptism cannot bring you to God? Let me get a little closer to home. Do you know uh potlucks can't bring you to God? there's not a thing wrong with any of these things except they be a substitute for what only the anointed one could do look for Christ also died for sin once for all the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God he's the mediator there is no other so you could take this verse You can engage someone in wonderful conversation. They say to you, I'm glad you believe in this Jesus and that he makes you happy. But surely you're allowing for the fact that others have different points of view, different excursions, different pathways to God. Then you're going to say, could I just share with you what the Bible says? Not my opinion as over against yours, you're simply going to share, you're going to say, well, see, there is this Christ, meaning anointed one, meaning specially chosen by God. And he died. There's no way for God to die unless he becomes man. And that's what Christ did. Uh, he didn't die for any problem, sin problem he had. He died for sin, yours, mine, because as God, he sin And what he did, he did once for all. And uh, not only that, he did it so as to bring us to God. It is this Christ in Christ alone who is the one who could bring us back into right relationship with the Father. So you're just going to be sharing that with people. And you're going to say, God, would you use the power of your gospel to convert a soul? It's not your power of persuasion and debate. All you got to do is tap someone on the shoulder who you know and you say, I'm dying to share something with you. You just say, I read this in the Bible. And it was so stirring to me. I memorized it. I've got to get this out. And you're it. So just sit tight. Let me share this with you. And then you can respond. In fact, I'm interested in your response. And you just share this. You say, here's the verse. For Christ also died for sin. Once for all. The just For the unjust. And here's why he did it. Here's why he did it. In order that he, not a system uh, of morals and ethics or religion, a person, that he might bring us to God. How? Being put to death. Here we go again. Being put to death. God can't be put to death. Oh, he can in the flesh. That's his material self. That's his embodiment The body dies, yes, being put to death in the flesh. But here is such hopeful and good news. This isn't the final word, but made alive in the spirit. In the non-material realm, an ultimate realm, a realm that uh, supersedes the confines of our bodies. Our bodies are subject to disease, are they not? And aging and all the rest. That's the material flesh realm. we're talking about a realm which is really the ultimate reality represented by Christ being put to death in the material realm, flesh realm, but made alive in the spirit. And the reason why that is such good news is we shall, we who believe on him shall follow suit. We may... Uh, die in the flesh if he doesn't come first you know that's that's the way of humankind some sooner than others we don't i mean we don't know this is all out of our hands but regardless of the timing of our departure because he though put to death in the flesh was made alive in the spirit that's resurrection that's the hope we have uh, that death will not have the last word uh, that he was made alive in the spirit lays to rest our false belief in the finality of death. In fact, for followers of the anointed one, Christ, uh, uh, the, uh, our departure is not even referred to as death. Do you know that? It's referred to as falling asleep. Why? You pass from this reality to an ultimate one. Sleeping is not final. Sleeping is permanent. It is poetic, uh, 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 but it reveals a a marvelous reality because this one, the anointed one, the just one, he's the only just one. He's the only one who could do it because he who was sinless died for sins because he succeeded in bringing all who will believe into a right relationship with his father so that his father is now our father and because he's the first fruits of victory over death because he laid to rest the finality of death. I share in it somehow. I share his eternality. And as he rose up from death, so too, I don't have a death sentence. I may depart, yes. I may fall asleep, of course. But ultimately, I will be eternally with him. Why? Because he has removed the burden of my sin, which separates me now and will forevermore. And now that he has died for my sin, there is nothing to separate me from God. Death can't do that because he's the giver of resurrection life. Can you see what one verse of Scripture can do? Let me suggest something to you if you're having a hard time sleeping at night. Memorize Scripture. So while you're tossing and turning, and usually it's because you're weighted down with all manner of concerns. And they're legitimate concerns, but usually ones you can't do a thing about. You take a verse like 1 Peter 3.18 And you go one word at a time, for Christ. And you remember what it means and what it entails. And you think on the implications, Messiah, anointed one. The one the Old Testament pointed to, the one the New Testament looks back upon, (laughs) Uh, the one who always was, who came in the flesh, who's coming again, you let that one word, you won't get past two words and you'll be sleeping. Why? Because the Bible says, Thou dost keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You can't be anxious while focusing on, on the excellencies of Christ. You can't do the same at the same time. It's not possible to be relaxed and anxious at the same time. It's one or the other. Choose which one you want. For Christ also died. Oh, almighty God. Unbounded, immense, alpha and omega, giver of life, you subjected yourself to death and dying for me. This is what you do. For Christ also died for sins. Sinless one, untainted, undefiled, untempted by sin, incorruptible, pure in every aspect of your being. You died not for your sin. You have none. You died for mine. I got plenty. For Christ also died for sins once. Oh, God. This is what I can count on. This settled the score. You said it is finished. You said paid in full. You canceled the debt. I am no longer a debtor. Now I'm a child. Your father has become my father because you joined me to him. Once for all. Oh, God, there isn't a person on earth, regardless of race and ethnicity and gender and age and all the rest, for whom you didn't die. Only, God, some don't realize what you have done. Oh, God, put it within me to be a little more concerned about those who have not yet heard. For Christ also died for sin once for all, the just. God, what is it like to be just, to be righteous, to be perfect, to be without sin, to be incorruptible? What is it never, ever, ever having to say you're sorry? What is it never having to confess sin? You're the just one. And you died for the unjust. That's me. God, that means my sin is not a problem. You have a solution for it. It's only a problem if I try to resolve it for myself. But you're the just. You died for the unjust. And why did you do it? In order that he... And then you say, I don't need a self-help program. (laughs) I don't need a a church membership. I don't need a religion. Um, I don't need promises. I don't need a New Year's (laughs) resolution. I need a he. I need a person because my problem is in a relationship with a person, Almighty God. I don't need a concept. I don't need a philosophy of life. I need a person that He might bring us to God. I'm alienated. I'm apart. And I don't even have an inherent desire to be rightly related to Almighty God. And He, Lord Jesus, you implanted the desire, took me. <laughs> Even with a little resistance, you laid hold of me lovingly. And you brought me into relationship with your father so that I get to call him Abba Father, just like you do. How did you do this? Being put to death. Who did it to you, anointed one? The Romans? Yeah. The Jews? Yeah. No. You yielded to it. Neither the Roman governmental leadership nor the Jewish religious leadership could have imposed this upon you. You did it because it is your desire to yield to the will of the Father. You volunteered for it, being put to death in the flesh. But oh God, you've been made alive in the Spirit. How else can I speak to you wherever I am? You're not confined to a material being. I don't have to locate you in a church, in a temple, in a shrine at the cross. I can find you right there in my heart. How do you get there if you're still in a material body? Oh, but you're not. You sent your very Spirit into me, the Helper, the Holy Spirit in me made alive in the spirit and then we say oh god the ultimate reality is not not my material reality it is my spiritual reality and and god oh oh death where is your sting it it doesn't have the final word because i'm connected to your death burial and you will not get through first peter three 18. you'll be snoring like a baby And then you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're tossing and turning again. You just pick up where you left off. You know who hates it when you do this? (laughs) Satan. So if the evil one is disturbing your sleep, he'd rather have you sleep than meditate on Scripture. I'm telling you that. So you want to turn this distress of sleepless nights into an opportunity. You say, cool, if I'm up. (laughs) I'm going through 1 Peter (laughs) 3.18. Fine. And then the next day you memorize another Scripture. And before you know it, you'll be sleeping like a baby. You'll be less distressed about Houston traffic. You won't care so much about the weather. (laughs) You'll be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a battle for the mind. It's a battle for the mind. I recommend memorizing Scripture. And what will happen is... I know God's going to give me a chance to share 1 Peter 3.18 with somebody. I don't even have to be on the prowl. I know what he worked in my life. He's going to work out. That's how it is. So you, you put scripture in, and uh, Almighty God will, will bring it out. So we're going to end here. Um, but let's see if you have this text memorized. Okay, are you ready? So it's 1 Peter 3.18. So here we go. We'll go one word at a time. Are you ready? For Christ also died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but. Made alive. God bless you folks. Let's just end on that note. See you next time.